Authorities in both British Columbia and Alberta, two Western Canadian provinces, were confounded for decades as the bodies of sexual assault victims kept adding up along the highways of both provinces. Since 1969, over 33 female victims, ages ranging from just 12 years old to 35, disappeared along the highways, or they were found beaten, stabbed, and strangled to death. In some cases, post-mortem mutilation and sexual acts were performed. The official number of victims, according to authorities, is 18, but residents and community activists say the real number is over 33, and that police simply do not want to acknowledge some of the missing persons or victims of the Highway of Tears, as most of the victims are poor, Indigenous women. According to the RCMP, there are over 1,100 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Canada. In this episode, we will focus on the cases that we believe have some connections to each other. There are literally so many victims and stories that we cannot cover them all. In this first segment, we will feature cases one by one, and then in part two, we will go over new developments, new investigations, suspects, and theories. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 1, Episode 23, The Highway Murders. On October 25, 1969, the first known victim of the Highway of Tears was 26-year-old mother of two, Gloria Moody. She was last seen on the night of October 25, 1969, leaving a bar in Williams Lake, British Columbia. She was on a weekend road trip with her family, and her brother had taken her to several bar establishments that night, including the Lakeview, the Maple Leaf, and the Ranch Hotel. When leaving the Ranch Hotel, Gloria's brother thought she was, quote, right behind him, and states that he doesn't know what happened after that. On October 26th, a day later, Gloria's body was found 10 kilometers from Williams Lake on a cattle trail by two hunters. She had been stripped naked, sexually assaulted, beaten, and bled to death from her injuries. Police investigated and had three local suspects in mind, but not much evidence to go on and the case ran cold. Less than a year later in the summer of 1970, a fresh-faced 18-year-old with a lovely smile vanished without a trace, not far from a different stretch of Highway 97. According to police reports, two women in a car had dropped Micheline Pear off at the gates of Tompkins Ranch on Highway 20 before Fort St. John in Hudson's Hope. She had been hitchhiking, a common method of traveling around for young, free-spirited girls in the early days. On August 8th, Pear's body was found 21 kilometers away by a group of people picking Saskatoon berries beside the highway. The teen, who came from Quebec, had been beaten with a blunt weapon. Officers believed she had been sexually attacked, although decomposition made it very difficult to be certain. Police had no leads, and again, the case ran cold and was put on a shelf. On a cool evening in October of 1970, Helen Claire Frost, 17, told her sister Sandy she was going out for a walk. She was wearing a three-quarter length navy blue coat with fur trim hood and blue pants. She never returned. She did have some tough months in 1970. She gave birth to an infant daughter and gave her up for adoption. Her boyfriend broke up with her and a roommate was raising a new baby in their Prince George apartment. 
Although Helen had run away before, there was no sign she did it this time, as she left behind clothes, money, and ID. It's possible she was suicidal, but there is no evidence that confirmed this either. Helen was a frequent hitchhiker, and the sister's apartment from which she walked out was just nine blocks from Highway 16 and was on a street that intersects with Highway 97, two lonely stretches of tarmac that would later become terrifying for young women. Helen's case still remains active, but she was not put on the official list of victims of the Highway of Tears because police have not found her body or determined if there was an abduction or a homicide. The case, it seems, was abandoned early in the investigation and simply put as a runaway. But Helen never appeared. She simply vanished. On October 14, 1971, teenager Virginia Sampar and her cousin Alvin were hanging out near an old bridge on Highway 16. The day was cool, so Alvin hopped on his bicycle to go home and get a jacket. He told Virginia he'd return shortly. On his way back as he cycled toward the highway, he heard a pickup door close. By the time he reached the road, Virginia was nowhere in sight. She was never seen again. Recently, family members asked authorities in Prince George to officially put her on the Highway of Tears list, but they said they did not even get a response. The task force said the case does not meet the requirements as no body was found and again, no evidence of foul play was ever presented. On October 19, 1973, 19-year-old Gail Ways set off to hitchhike from Clearwater, BC to Kamloops to visit her parents. The cheerful, active woman had been working at a gas station in Clearwater to save money for a second year in college and a dream vacation in Mexico. Ron Hagerman was a banker in Clearwater in 1973 and often ate meals in the hotel in the small town on Highway 5, one of three roads linked to the Highway 1 murders. He vividly remembers Gail working in the hotel pub and seeing her there the night she disappeared in October 1973. Quote, I know that night she was asking around for someone to drive her to Kamloops because her parents lived there, he said. No one was going to Kamloops and so she just walked outside and stuck out her thumb. Gail never made it to her parents' house, and somewhere along the highway, she vanished. Six months after her disappearance, her nude, decomposing body was found in a ditch six kilometers south of Clearwater. Her clothing was never found, and police had very little clues to investigate with. And the killer struck again just a short time later on November 6, 1973, taking what we believe to be his next victim. Pamela Darlington, who by all indication looked exactly like Gail West. Her family even said that they looked so much alike they could have been sisters. Pamela Darlington was just 19 and was last seen alive November 6, 1973 at the David Thompson pub in the company of a man with messy blonde hair. Her body was found the next day by Frank Amon Sr. and his son Frank who spotted her body at the edge of their property where it bordered Pioneer Park. Police believe this man with messy blonde hair was the driver of a car spotted racing to beat a train in the vicinity of where Darlington's body was later found. The car was described as an older model white Chrysler four-door vehicle. 
Police have never been able to link a name to this mysterious man seen with Darlington at the pub. In the summer of 1974, Colleen McMillan, a pretty strawberry blonde teenager, left her Loch Lahash home to hitchhike just a few kilometers to her friend's house. Even though hitchhiking was a common practice in the 1970s, Colleen never made it to her destination. Her body was found one month later beside a logging road south of 100 Mile House. Police suspected a drug addict who confessed to the murder and then recanted before committing suicide. Re-examining the case today, authorities believe the drug addict was not involved in the crime at all. The next victim was 14-year-old Monica Ignaz of Terence, BC. She was last seen on December 13, 1974, at about 11 p.m. walking by herself along Highway 16 toward her home. Four months later, on October 6, 1975, her body was discovered close to a heavily wooded forest services road known as Selgar. Two witnesses reported seeing a car pulled over to the side of the road the night Ignis vanished. The pair saw a man and a passenger who looked like a girl inside the vehicle. Monica had been wearing a blue wool duffel coat with wooden toggle for buttons and brown wallaby style shoes. Her body was totally stripped naked, except for one blue sock left on her foot. No further leads developed, and the case went cold. The next victim was 16-year-old Pauline Brazeau. On the evening of January 8, 1976, Pauline Elizabeth Brazeau was socializing with friends at her aunt's residence at 17th Avenue Southwest in Calgary, Alberta. Pauline had consumed a considerable amount of alcohol during the evening, she and a friend visited a nearby pizza restaurant around 2.30 a.m. At the restaurant, they ate a pizza, then departed the restaurant to go home. Pauline returned alone to the restaurant about 15 minutes later to retrieve a pair of gloves she thought she left behind. Pauline could not find her gloves and left the restaurant shortly thereafter. The partially clothed body of Pauline Brazeau was found approximately five hours later at 8.30 a.m. on the 9th of January, 1976, on the Jumping Pound Forestry Road, located approximately 22 miles southwest of Cochrane, Alberta. Pauline died as a result of stab wounds. The next victim was again very close to Calgary, Alberta. Tara Jane White was reported missing on July 3, 1976. At the time of her disappearance, 19-year-old Tara White has just completed her first year of studies at the University of Calgary in the science faculty. Tara worked for the summer as a dining room waitress at a lodge 40 miles north of Lake Louise, Alberta. She was last seen on July 1st, 1976, leaving a residence in the northwest community of Dalhousie within the city of Calgary. She was carrying an orange backpack at the time of her disappearance. Tara was intending to catch a bus to go back to Lake Louise. On March 24, 1981, Tara White's skeletal remains were found in a shallow grave approximately 40 miles west of Calgary in a wooded area just off of Highway 1 near Morley, Alberta. An orange backpack was also found in the shallow grave. Police believe Tara White either accepted a ride to Banff and Lake Louise at the bus depot or she was picked up hitchhiking. On the night of August 2nd, 1976, 17-year-old Mary Goudreau left a friend's house around 10.30 p.m., but never made it home. Police found Mary's 
blue 1972 Plymouth Cricket abandoned on a rural road, now known as Ellerseat Road in Beaumont, Alberta. Parked on an angle, it had been running with the headlights on for over an hour. The driver's side door was open with the window partly rolled down. Her purse containing $20 in cash was left undisturbed on the seat. Her jacket and shoes were still in the car. Between 10.50 p.m. and 11 p.m., witnesses reported seeing a truck idling at Rural Road 24 and Township Road 510 West of Beaumont. Police believe somebody flagged down Marie, possibly pretending to be broken down. When Marie stopped and got out, she was abducted. Quote, it was very odd. Marie was not known to be picking up hitchhikers. The fact that the car was parked in that manner was very curious. It's almost as if she pulled over to speak with someone she views as friendly, said RCMP Corporal Ken Beard, who worked tirelessly on the case for about a year during his time with major crimes in Edmonton from 2008 to 2009. Two days after Marie vanished, her nude body was found in a water-filled ditch about three kilometers north of Devon. She had been strangled. Police believe her homicide is connected to the Highway of Tears murders. On September 16, 1976, the strangled body of Melissa Rohorik was found in a ditch along a rural gravel road approximately 23 kilometers west of Calgary, Alberta, and 2 kilometers north of Highway 1. Melissa moved to Calgary, Alberta from Windsor, Ontario during the spring of 1976. She resided at the YWCA and was employed as a chambermaid at the International Hotel. Melissa was last seen at approximately 9.30 p.m. on September 15, 1976, when she left the YWCA alone with plans to hitchhike west along Highway 1 out of the city for her two days off from work. It is known that Melissa caught a transit bus and traveled westbound until she got off the bus near McMahon Stadium in Calgary, Alberta. Melissa was known to enjoy hitchhiking to various places and preferred to ride with truckers. On September 16, 1976, Melissa's fully clothed body was located in a ditch along a rural road. None of her personal belongings were missing and everything, including her money, was located in her carrying bag at the scene. A grey-coloured half-ton vehicle was noted to have been seen in the area on September 15th. On February 26, 1977, the fully clothed, strangled body of Barbara McLean was discovered by a man walking his dog along a gravel road near 80th Avenue and 6th Street Northeast, just north of Calgary. Barbara McLean moved from Nova Scotia to Calgary in October 1976 and was working at the Palliser Square branch of the Royal Bank. On the evening of February 25, 1977, Barbara was at the Highlander Bar in Calgary, Alberta, socializing with family and friends. At one point in the evening, Barbara got into an argument with her intoxicated boyfriend who was evicted from the bar. Barbara returned to the bar while her boyfriend waited outside in his 1970 dark green Volvo vehicle, which was parked in the parking lot. At 2.30 a.m., Barbara returned to the vehicle where she and her boyfriend argued again. The pair split after a heated argument leaving Barbara alone in the parking lot. Barbara, somewhat intoxicated, made the fatal decision to hitchhike to a party, which, however, she never arrived. Police believe the person who gave Barbara a ride is responsible for her death. 
It is believed that Barbara was murdered at a location different from where her body was located. Mary Jane Hill's body was found along Highway 16 on March 26, 1978. There is little information about this particular victim other than she had been found dead. The cause of death on her death certificate is listed as due to bronchitis and bronchopneumonia. However, on the same page, it reads, quote, We then find that the death of Mary Jane Hill as a result of manslaughter, end quote. The original investigation was very sloppy and done with little or no effort. Mary Jane's daughter, who was just six months old at the time, now says, quote, The RCMP, I don't think myself, they are really looking into these old cases. I'm quite sure they will find something along the line if they look into it. I want to find out where is my mom's evidence. Where are her clothes? Was anything done? I'm sure she would have fought. Where is the DNA, the blood samples? End quote. Vicky remains disappointed by what she perceives as a lack of interest by politicians, native leaders, the public, and the media in her mother's file, and those of other unsolved cases in northern BC. It was a clear spring day that Saturday in 1978 when 12-year-old Monica Jack and her 14-year-old cousin Debbie John embarked on a childhood adventure, riding their bikes into the nearby town of Merritt to go shopping. Monica, who was just about to turn 13 in a few days, had received money from her father to buy new shoes. She also purchased a birthday gift for her younger sister Liz, who had just turned 11. They rode their bikes back home, but on the way, riding alone to her house, Monica would be abducted. After realizing that Monica had not returned home, the family went to search for her and then called the police. Monica's prize bike was found thrown down a bank off the highway, not far from the family home. Area residents report earlier seeing a man standing in the area where the bike was found, as well as a light green truck with a camper on the back. In one day in June 1995, forestry workers came across some human remains in a ravine off a logging road on Swakum Mountain, about 20 kilometers where Monica's bike had been found. It took until February 1996, nearly 18 years after the girl disappeared, to confirm through DNA testing and dental records that Monica had been found. Police said in 1996 that they had a suspect, but not enough evidence to lay charges. It isn't clear if that person is still considered a suspect today or not. Investigators said at the time that the suspect was not a local man and described him as someone who was once married and had also lived the life of a drifter. Maureen Mosey, 33 of Edson, Alberta, was last seen hitchhiking in Salmon Arm, BC on May 8, 1981. The next day, her body was located south of the intersection of 97 and Highway 1. Multiple tracks were found in the area but one set in particular is believed to belong to the killer. A witness helped police create a sketch of Mosey getting into a car in Salmon Arm a day before her body was discovered. The man was described as in his late 20s or early 30s with black or brown hair and a beard. At the time of her death, Mosey was wearing beaded moccasins and she was carrying a tan-colored canvas handbag. Police said she was killed at the scene but had not been sexually assaulted. The lead detective on the file, now retired Sergeant Mike Eastman, 
an innovative Mountie, determined to solve the case and used hypnosis on several witnesses. Two people who were hypnotized recalled seeing Mosey and the suspect car in Salmon Arm, Eastman said in 1981, while three others recalled seeing the possible murderer where her body was found. The suspect's car was described as a noisy, greenish-blue junker with an Alberta license plate hanging from the front bumper, but no rear plate and a dangling tailpipe. The driver had dark, collar-length hair and two-week-old growth on his face. Eastman tried to determine whether there was any connection between Mosey's file and other hitchhiker murders. By the fall of 1981, Eastman had compiled 900 pages of investigative notes, interviewed more than a thousand people, and had 11,000 license plate numbers reported, and he even enlisted the help of an Ottawa-based psychic, but no suspect was ever charged. Own Ha's body, a Vietnamese refugee, was found on February 28, 1981, near Golden, BC. She had been raped, strangled, and her body mutilated after death. The shy teen had come to Canada several months earlier and landed a job as a chambermaid at a Banff hotel. Her body was found face down in the snow, a few meters from the Trans-Canada Highway, about 80 kilometers west of Golden, on the road to Kamloops and 200 kilometers from Banff. Helena Edna Tomat, 17, of West Bank, disappeared October 27, 1989. She was last seen hitchhiking. Her remains were found in September 1991 in some bushes on a lot beside a highway near Kelowna's airport. Tomat was identified through dental records. The owner of the property first discovered a skull, prompting Vancouver investigators to fly in to help search for the rest of her remains. Elsie Friesen, a 34-year-old mother of three, was last seen on April 3, 1989, as a neighbor dropped her off at home in Winfield, now known as the town of Lake Country. The victim, who was known to hitchhike, was never seen again. She was reported missing by her parents, Herda and Herman Hennings, who believed she had fallen victim to foul play. Her skeletal remains were found May 20, 1991, beside Highway 33, east of Kelowna, in a wooded area by a drifter collecting bottles. The highway leads to the Big White Ski Resort. The killer had placed several large logs over her body. The cause of death could not be determined. Shelly Ann Baksu was supposed to be home in 15 minutes. The 16-year-old was babysitting at her boyfriend's house at the Sunset Trailer Court in Hinton when she called her mother Muriel around 8 p.m. asking to cook some noodles for her to eat when she got home. But the five-foot, slim-built brunette never came home. According to police, Shelly Ann was last seen by witnesses on May 3, 1983, walking west on the north side of Highway 16, roughly a mile west of the town limits. Articles of Shelly Ann's clothing were later found near the Athabasca River, leading police to believe foul play was involved. Since then, Mounties have interviewed numerous persons of interest and recovered items associated to Shelly Ann, but the case quickly ran cold. The body of Alberta Williams, 24, was found on September 25, 1989, about 37 kilometers east of Prince Rupert, BC, near the Teehee Overpass. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted. The list of women 
missing and murdered across highways in BC and Alberta just goes on and on. Cecilia Ann Nichol disappeared in 1989, a year before her cousin, Delphine Nichol, also disappeared. She was last reported in Smithers, BC near Highway 16. Delphine Nichol vanished on June 13, 1990. The 15-year-old teenager was hitchhiking east from the town of Smithers, BC. Ramona Wilson was hitchhiking to her friend's home in Smithers, BC on June 11, 1994. Ramona's remains were found April 1995 near the Smithers Airport. Roxanne Theria, 16, went missing in Prince George on the July long weekend in 1994. She had worked as a prostitute and told friends she was going out with a customer. She walked around the corner of a building and was never heard from again. Her body was found August 17, 1994, in the bush along Highway 16, six kilometers east of Burns Lake. Alicia Germain was found murdered on December 9, 1994, behind Haldi Road Elementary School, off of Highway 16, west outside of Prince George. Alicia, 15 years old, part native, was stabbed to death. Lana Derrick was last seen on October 1995 at a service station in Thornhill, BC. Her remains were never found. Nicole Hoare, 25, went missing from Prince George in 2002 and was last seen on the highway, hitchhiking. Tamara Chipman was last seen in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, while hitchhiking east on Highway 16th in 2005. The body of Aaliyah Sarek Auger, 14, was found shortly after she went missing on February 2nd, 2006. A motorist found her in a ditch on Highway 16 near Tabor Mountain nearly 20 kilometers east of Prince George. 20-year-old Madison Scott vanished near the infamous road on May 28, 2011. After attending a party, police located her tent and truck, but the young woman remains missing. Madison was last seen during the early morning hours of May 28, 2011 at Hogsback Lake, 25 kilometers southeast of Vanderhoof. And there are many, many more. Please join us for part two where we will go over new developments, new investigations, suspects, and theories.